and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna. I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Andrew Jesus. Here we are, FaceTime. This is the episode where Melissa and Spencer have a face-off with Melissa's face-off after their incident at the mask factory. That is, like, the main thing that I remember this episode for, Um, but it's also, like, you know, the net seems to be tightening around Ashley. We meet Detective Tanner for the first time, which is fun, and we're getting more and more hints uh, that Gabe Holbrook might be... uh, might be not quite as on the up and up as he seems. Yes, yes, very true. There's also a, a, a great exploration about the heaviness of air, lest we forget. <laughs> yeah, and we were talking about, like, it, you thought this episode was, like, a little stronger than some of the ones we've, we've been watching lately. Um, I felt like it was kind of uneven. I think that the Hannah stuff and the Spencer stuff is good. Um, but I think the Emily and the Aria stuff is is not so much. And also, I feel like there are some weird edits in this episode, which that's always the, like, I mean, any episode of PLL sometimes just has weird, like, editing things that they throw in. But there's um, the moment when Toby is, like, kissing Spencer at the Hastings. <laughs> and then, like, there's, like, a magical kiss transporter that has him kissing her outside of the brew is super weird and distracting. And then also uh, related to Toby... Uh, we get a scene where like Arya is uh, it's daylight and she's hanging out with Jake and talking to him. And then the next thing, you know, it's like the middle of the night and she's talking to him on her porch. And then we go back to Toby talking to Dr. Palmer and it's the middle of the day again. Um, So that's also uh, that also just makes everything feel like just a little bit, a little bit jerky and jarring, I think. There's also that weird moment, uh, which I actually kind of like as a directorial choice, but it's definitely a bit jarring, when Ashley and Hannah are talking and suddenly it's like nighttime in the Marin kitchen because of the reveal that Ashley might be a murderer. And it's like a crow flies overhead and all the lights go off. Maybe that's what's happening. Maybe it's like storm clouds are just gathering uh, around particular plot lines. Maybe this episode just takes place in Ravenswood. I don't know. <laughs> oh, man, that seems totally possible. Um, but it is, you know, we do get to meet Detective Tanner, who's going to um, be with us for a long time. And it's also interesting to me uh, that, like, Detective Tanner is, like, around this whole episode. Hannah is the only liar that she meets. Like, the other yeah. liars... Uh, The other liars have just met Holbrook and only briefly right now. Yeah, I I feel like this episode has some great examples of the way that A can just kind of wind the liars up and then let them dig their own graves. Uh, We definitely see that with Hannah. We also definitely see that with Emily. Um, And, you know, I think to to a lesser extent, we see that with Aria as well. Um, And it's it's really it's really fascinating to watch that that game at play. Yeah, that's a great point, especially because a lot of the liars have a lot of really bad plans in this episode, yeah. uh, which is like, you know, the, the harder you try to get out of the net, the more the net is just going to 
drag you down. Um, but shall we jump in? Let's do it. Let's do All it. All right. Uh, a taxi pulls up outside the field's home. It is Wayne back to fix the messes his little women have gotten into. Uh, this is not a super happy reunion as both Emily and Pam's greetings seem tinged with worry. I also feel bad for Wayne. They couldn't pick him up at the airport. Like, <laughs> just take a cab. Yes, yes. I mean, we're assuming that he flew into the airport. Maybe he just took the taxi all the way from Texas or Afghanistan or wherever he was previously. Yeah, we're, we don't really know. We don't really know. Um, yes, then we cut over to the school where Caleb is filling Hannah in on his conversation with Tom. Uh, Hannah calls him out rightfully for not helping and she wants him to forget anything and not do anything aka to stop messing things up Caleb though he he thinks they really need to deal with the information that Tom revealed which we talked about last week Tom absolutely should not have revealed to Caleb and Caleb should not have gone there in the first place so this conversation really should not have taken place yeah and I really don't think that I don't think that Tom told Caleb and, like, with the expectation that Caleb was immediately going to tell Hannah. Like, I think Tom was trying to get in, like, a conspiracy of the men. Like, the men folk <laughs> were going to protect the women folk. And Caleb is just, like, uh, yeah, Caleb is just, like, spreading it all over town. Plus, they're talking very openly, like, at yeah. school about this gun and the murder. And also, uh, this is a situation where now that, uh, now that Presria is broken up and they're not having the same conversation in every scene that they're in... Hannah and Caleb are basically going to be having this same conversation the entire episode. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it's also like, it's like a bad game of telephone or something because now this conversation has been told and retold multiple times. Um, Spencer and Aria walk up just then and Hannah comes in super hot wanting to know if Spencer has talked to Melissa about the mask. Uh, she kind of snaps that just because Spencer is, uh, or that Melissa is Spencer's sister, doesn't mean that she's she's off the A suspect list. Hannah's new theory, which she is really certain of in this scene, is that Melissa is A and killed Wilden and is pinning the murder on Ashley and getting out of town. Um, why? I guess because of the mask? This seems like incredibly shaky evidence. Um, Emily walks up then and fills them in on Wayne and family services, which the liars weirdly seem to have not heard about at all yet. Um, and then we do an interesting thing where we switch over to a car. There are two people, Linda T. The liars. Tanner comments on the liars' outfits and how she never would have been allowed to wear things like that to school. And Holbrook makes it really clear that he's already a predator by snarking about the fact that he could get used to it. Tanner has an interesting comment back to him, uh, implying that she picked him for this particular job and, and wants him to know that they are not here to get cozy. They want to know what it is about the liars that's att that attracts so many corpses. Bom, bom, bom. Uh, yeah, do you think that she picked him because he's young and handsome and she feels like the liars might be tempted to confide in him? Yeah, maybe. I mean, one of the things that's interesting about Tanner is I feel like for the whole course of the series, she is a very hard to read character. Like it always kind of seems like we're going to get some other layer to her. Like she 
actually, you know, I don't know, like an undercover reporter or FBI agent or something that's like that. Like, it always seems like there's going to be some extra layer to her character. And it consistently is just she's a cop who's doing her job, which is kind of funny. Um, but yeah, they're definitely, I feel like they are playing the mystery of these two up a lot in this particular episode. Yeah, that is definitely true. Um, the next time we see the liars, they're in the courtyard, uh, having the same conversation again. Spencer should confront Melissa, uh, who could believe anything bad about Emily's family, uh, except for, you know, how she's been lying about everything all the time, etc. How is Jake? Jake is fine. He was fine last time they asked. Spencer clearly wants more specific fantasy material, uh, but then changes tack to ask whether Ella is going to Austria with the Muffin Man. Uh, The liars disperse. Meeting adjourned. This is another really unnecessary liars catch-up scene. My main takeaway from the scene is that I like Spencer's hair. Yeah, and uh, the fact that they throw in the is Ella moving to Austria bit even though we don't see Ella or the Muffin Man or hear anything about Austria anywhere else in this episode. Yeah, and and it it almost feels like this scene exists just for the last line, which is like Spencer and Emily have this little exchange about surviving senior year and how it's supposed to be the best year of your life. Um, but yeah, this is this is a weird one. I, what what do you think textually is going on with Spencer's reactions? to Arya and Jake? Like, what are we supposed to be reading from her reaction? Oh, I think we're supposed to be thinking that Spencer is a Presria shipper. Okay. I, I, I think that too, but it's weird. I just feel like they're doing, they're sort of doing that thing. It's sort of like a Shauna situation where they're, they're, they're telling us to react to something, but they're not, it's like, we're not, I, I I feel like the information is not all there for us to know like how we're supposed to react because as it seems like it just feels really queer like the way that Spencer is reacting. Oh, it does. I mean, it definitely. I choose to read this whole situation as Spencer wishes that Arya were dating her instead of Jake, but it's also really weird. Um, for example, that they ask about Jake all the time, and like in a way that like nobody ever asks about Paige for example, uh, who is like a partner of a liar that they have all met and know. Uh, And also none of them have met Jake. Like Arya hasn't introduced him to anyone. No one is pressing to be introduced to him. So it does just seem really weird that there's just all of this, like, how's Jake? What's going on with Jake? Is everything fine with Jake? Um, It just feels a little odd. And they choose to have Arya consistently just reply with, he's fine, which I get is supposed to read as like Arya's not really that into it, but it's like they're hitting the same note too many times. And as a result, I mean, already Jake is a very thinly written character. And so these weird little exchanges about him aren't helping me feel like I know more about him or their relationship. Agreed. Um, so over at the brew, the Hastings women are having an extremely waspy conversation about the <laughs> Um, <laughs> the various coats, Melissa, not, I love that, uh, Veronica has a line, like, I think you were very smart about that coat, which feels like such a, a thing a rich mom says to her rich daughter. Um, Spencer is being snarky and is told by Veronica to not be jealous of Melissa, 
Melissa gladly play, plays the role of being extremely understanding, saying if the, the roles she would reveals she's in UPenn. Melissa tells us that it's just early admission and there are things we can do, which sounds a bit nefarious. Like maybe they're about to have somebody killed um, or maybe they're just going to like edit Spencer into some, you know, rowing crew photos or something. I'm not really sure. Um, but Spencer's energy here is quite interesting because she has this sort of desperate but also kind of delighting in how uncomfortable she's making them vibe as she talks about how you know, she's not going to get into UPenn. She's not going to UPenn. And everybody's just going to have to deal with it that she's not going to the family alma mater. Um, Spencer eyes Melissa at the end of this scene, kind of kind of um, relenting as her mom is, is kind of feeling more concerned, saying that maybe there are a few things she could learn from her sister. Oh, my goodness. This whole scene, I have two... I have two notes in this recap about times when it's clear that the liar should be in therapy. This is one of them. Uh, because Spencer is not in therapy to process all of her issues, uh, her resentment has just built up to the point where it like spills over in the middle of this nonsense talk about coats. Um, she has to like drop the U-Pen bomb and just like watch as the, the wreckage unfolds. Um, so yeah, these... These Hastings women, uh, they are just not really the best at being in touch with their emotions. Well, there's also a lot of characters not um, not getting empathy, like characters who clearly need empathy not receiving it in this episode. I really feel that way with Emily later, that she's having all these conversations with people where she's just not receiving any empathy. Um, strangely, actually... Karate Jake has a really interesting reaction later in this episode that I kind of did approve of. Uh, surprise, surprise. Um, but yeah, poor Spencer here. Like she's just, she's very much adrift. Well, yeah. And as is Hannah, who we go to in the next scene, Hannah like is totally freaking out about her mom. And it really doesn't feel like any of the liars are checking in with her about this um, or, or really supporting mm -hmm. her as she mm -hmm. moves through the situation. Um, so Hannah arrives at her mom's office for yet another midday visit. Uh, Ashley isn't there, but I do want to mention that Hannah is wearing a happy birthday shirt with pictures of ice cream sandwiches and popsicles on it. Is this the shirt that she lends to Spencer later this season? Because I think it might be. It is. It absolutely is the same shirt. I also think that I think that actually on closer inspection, it says happy Ashley on it. Which is especially funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Wow, good, good eye. If that is indeed the case, ah. Uh, um, so Hannah is there. Uh, Ashley comes back into the office carrying a safety deposit box and accompanied by Detective Holbrook and Tanner, uh, who Hannah meets for the first time. The two detectives inexplicably let Hannah stay as they inventory the contents of the box. Uh, lots of money, stacks of money, two passports, Canadian and American, and a gun with the serial number filed off. Uh, they ask Ashley if she's the only bank employee ever to see the contents of this box. And ooh, it's a trick question because they mean just now. But Ashley acts so jangled about it that it seems like she might just be about to confess to the Mrs. Potter situation just to like, you know, get it off of her chest. Um, Hannah looks worried, 
Tanner, Tanner takes a butterscotch candy and the whole entire box with them as they leave. Uh, first impressions, Holbrook and Tanner do seem like they're doing actual investigating here. And this was clearly a setup to test Ashley and Hannah's reactions, which works because they could not look more guilt-stricken if they tried. Yeah, I um, I actually really like Tanner as a character. I think she has, I like her energy. I like that she's really smart. Um, and I think she's a really interesting foil for the liars. Um, and I, I love how they're sort of doing the performance of, oh, we're just two cops looking through this safe deposit box. But they're clearly sort of, I feel like they're performing the act of looking through the safety deposit box for Ashley and Hannah a little bit. Which I which I enjoy. What do you think of Tanner? Oh, I also think that she's a good character, and I think it's interesting, like knowing the arc of her character over time. Um, I think it's interesting to see that she comes in, and she doesn't have a lot of preconceived notions about the liars. Like she's not Wilden; she's not automatically assuming they're guilty. Uh, but her impressions are forming as the liars themselves act sketchier and sketchier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Do you think, like, so they're going through Wilden's uh, safe deposit box. There's this money. There are these passports. There's this gun. Do you feel like the contents of this safety deposit box make Wilden seem, like, smarter or more together or just evil in a more put-together way than he generally seemed on the show? That's a good question. I mean, I I do like the way that they're just they're just both like, oh yeah, this is his drop gun. Like, oh yeah, this is the he, he's the kind of cop who just like has a drop gun ready to go. Um, uh, I think, yeah. I mean, I do think it makes him seem more calculating. You know, it, it before it, it seemed like he was kind of maybe more just sort of opportunistic and um, always sort of had a, found a way to be kind of at the you know, at the right place at the right time and sort of finagle his way into certain situations. But this does kind of make it seem like he was um, was more clever. I mean, I guess we also could could extrapolate that this money was from the De Laurentiis family. Um, what what are what are your thoughts on it? Well, I think that there's an interesting um, there's an interesting evolution in this episode with the question of how smart is or isn't Darren Wilden? Like how smart was or wasn't he? Later, Melissa is going to say he wasn't that smart. He was taking orders from someone. But this um, this safety deposit box and its contents certainly make it seem like Wilden could have been a puppet master. Yeah, yeah. Or, or just was a puppet for somebody else. You know, mm-hmm. I think that that's mm-hmm. that there's that there's definitely two ways two ways to see that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I always really liked the idea that Wilden and Prezra were connected in some way. Oh, me too. Especially since Prezra is another person we've seen having giant stacks of cash sitting around. Right. And lots of surveillance cameras. Yeah. So suddenly it is nighttime and there's a lot of suddenly it's nighttime in this episode. <laughs> Uh, Emily and Spencer are on the phone chatting about Melissa and their need for leverage. Spencer um, is uh, this whole time she's looking up uh, doctors on her computer, clearly trying to locate Dr. Palmer. Emily 
overhears her parents arguing about social services, the looks they're getting in town, and Emily's lies. She hangs up with Spencer and listens to the conversation, looking worried. So much of this episode is just Emily. Last week it was Emily grabs her shoulder. This week it's Emily looks worried. Yeah, the stage direction of character looks worried is just all over the place because Hannah looks worried, Ashley looks worried, everybody is looking worried as the camera pans away from them tonight. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, but this leads to Emily hatching um, bad plan number one of the episode. Uh, plan that is clearly going to make things worse. She goes back to her doctor and seems shaken and stressed out as she assures him there's nothing wrong, no problem, nothing to see here. Uh, she asks him if he called social services and then demands that he call them back and tell them how everything is all good because she says it's all good and stop pressuring her uh, and asking questions because everything is fine. This only makes it seem more suspicious and makes him uh, have his radar up even more that someone is kind of forcing her to say all this to make the investigation go away. But before she storms out, he tells her that she has a partial tear of the rotator cuff on her shoulder and she will need to rest and rehab to make it heal or else they'll have to do surgery, the results of which can be unpredictable. Also, she is not supposed to swim as it would risk more damage. Oh, Emily. Yeah, nothing like nothing like coming in wide-eyed at a 13, insisting that you're not under pressure to be here in a way that makes you seem absolutely under pressure. Also, the way that the doctor informs her of this partial rotator cuff tear, it's like, um, it's in this very sort of by the way way. Like she's about to leave and he's like, oh, by the way, your arm is going to fall off if you ever slip. <laughs> the way it's framed. Like, one of the weird things about this episode is like they, they frame surgery almost as a death sentence. Like I get that like, you know, no 17 no year old, you know, wants go a surgery that might leave them unable people people have surgery all the time like if sur- like maybe she needs surgery and then maybe sh- her rotator cuff will be fine like it's it's funny how like i don't know it, it's just it's funny how they're like you might need surgery you know <laughs> i totally agree and also as as a high school athlete like emily must know people who've had surgery before like it yes. seems it seems like that would be the case but uh, yes, he is not calling off the investigation. He's more suspicious than ever. And Emily might have surgery. <laughs> it's very terrible. Um, so this is a fun scene. Hannah approaches Tanner in town by complimenting her shoes. Uh, multiple liars are definitely going overboard to prove that absolutely nothing is wrong. Uh, this is where I took the note that uh, this is totally a case of a maneuvering the liars into positions where they are just digging their own graves hannah plops down next to tanner and conspiratorial conspiratorially tells her that she's been thinking about the contents of that safety deposit box and is wondering whether wilden was crooked or in with the russian mob tanner looks in very seriously and asks if there is a lot of russian mob activity around rosewood oh hannah calling out wilden's character to the detective trying to solve the case bad move my love especially when she name checks melissa hastings and her possible involvement in wilden's murder it's so clear that tanner is just playing with hannah here um especially as she starts to sort of 
slightly interrogate Hannah about her own relationship with Wilden, uh, making it very clear that she knows just how involved Wilden was in Hannah and Ashley's life. Caleb swoops in to save Hannah just then, um, getting her getting her out of the way and, and just barely out of earshot before he points out that Tanner and Holbrook are the real deal, not like the regular Rosewood cops. Um, I really... The... the this the sort of uh, situation of this bothers me because Caleb is like technically kind of doing the right thing here and is making a good point, but consistently Hannah has been trying to set boundaries that Caleb is not accepting, and Hannah has, keeps getting put in these positions to look kind of stupid and need Caleb to come in and save her, which is um, pretty annoying. But what he's saying is not wrong. Holbrook and Tanner are a lot more savvy than the typical Rosewood PD. And Hannah is clearly just too overwhelmed to see that. The last note of this scene is Tanner eyeing Caleb and taking some notes. Yes. Um, th- I feel like this was a bad plan on Hannah's part. Hannah was going to try to like sit herself down and find out how much Tanner knew. Uh, but it was a great plan on Tanner's part. Sitting there wearing fashionable shoes that Hannah's going to have a conversational opening for, and also that Tanner gets a lot more information from Hannah than she gives. Like when Hannah talks about Melissa Hastings, who like, again, this is not very damning evidence. Hannah's evidence is Melissa Hastings went to high school with him and he had a boat in Cape May and Melissa went out on it a few times. Like that is not really a smoking gun there, Marin. Uh, but Hannah, you know, wants to put it out there. But as soon as she mentions that boat, Tanner, like, zeroes in, like, have you ever been out on that boat? And, you know, like, really probing what Hannah's relationship with Wilden was like in a way that Hannah does not expect and is not prepared for. Um, So this is a great interrogation uh, on Tanner's part, I feel like. Uh, And also, this is like a weird moment when Hannah and uh, Caleb are walking off and then Caleb and Tanner exchange this long look. I feel like this is like a dropped plot line where it seemed like maybe there was going to be a previous connection between Tanner and Caleb that just never really gets followed up on. And I don't know. I mean, at the time it could have been that like, you know, Caleb was a snitch for her or something when he was mixed up in the auto theft ring or, or what it was, but like, Caleb really, he hasn't really interacted with either of them, Tanner or Holbrook, before this point. So his, like, fear of them seems like it might have a a source that we don't know about. That would have been really interesting if he did have a a history with one or both of them um, when he was working with the actual bad guys in Allentown. (laughs) Um, Well, because they're the state police, so it's like a big deal is made of that, so... Yeah, and it yeah, and it is true that he's really sort of framed as this, um, you know, super super knowledgeable when it comes to the two of them. Well, yeah, and also, um, even though you know, it may be it may be a right thing for Caleb to try to like extract Hannah from this situation when Tanner is investigating uh, and interrogating her. Uh, it's definitely like if that was the right move. It's for sure the wrong move to follow that up with a demand for gratitude that then leads to a fight between you and Hannah while Tanner is still watching you. Like, that was easily avoidable. Yes. Yeah. Oh, completely. Completely agree. Oh, boy. From from one fun couple to another, (laughs) Spencer has written down an address for Dr. Lewis Palmer, M.D., 
Uh, it's in New York State, and he's not listed as staff at this particular facility, but Spencer theorizes he's probably a consultant or emeritus or something like that. Toby, who could not even Google on his own behalf, who, like, Spencer had to, like, spend all of her time tracking this down. Toby takes one look at this piece of notebook paper and decides, this is right. This must be it. And he needs to leave right now to go and question this guy and find out the truth about his mommy. Um, Spencer, who thought that she would also get to go based on all the work that she did to track down this information and how generally useless her man friend is without her, uh, is surprised to learn that she is not welcome to join. Toby needs to rush the fuck off to talk to this man right now, and he has no time for Spencer's machinations about her sister. He takes off right after kiss-teleporting her to the door of the brew. Yeah, this is such a weird scene like Toby Spencer's like don't you want to call first and he's like well I don't want to give him a chance to not talk to me and it's like so just no heads up no information you're just gonna go you're just gonna go and fly off and you're gonna the one person who has been gathering information for you on this Spencer the one person who could probably do a pretty good interrogation Spencer is just simply not welcome. <laughs> well, and it's like, he's acting like because she needs to deal with the Melissa situation, but like, they're not even going to do the Melissa plan this night. So it's very, it's very sketch. I don't know what exactly uh, Toby is thinking, but he has to fly off and go do it all on his manly man lonesome. Well, it's, it's also not clear like I feel like they frame this it's it's another like Toby's leaving town moment like it, they sort of frame it as like he's like going off to war which it, there's a lot of scenes like that where it's like Toby's going to like a job in Bucks County or whatever and they frame it as like Toby's leaving better say bye to Toby you know well, he, he grabs like a weird duffel bag or something <laughs> as he's taking off like it's like a duffel bag, like at the end of bed knobs and broomsticks when that guy's going to go join the army and he has the duffel slung over his shoulder. Like, that's that's the level of duffel that Toby seems to be taking with him on this mission. Yeah, it's it's very, it's very, very strange. Um, do you want to, should, should I take us to the second part of this scene? Oh, yeah, I, I just took them up to the kiss teleportation. So okay. I figured you could, you could take on uh, the brew with, with Aria. I'll take on what happens next. So Aria, who has been watching this magical kiss, um, immediately thinks that Toby is going to find the lair. Uh, and and Aria just, like, makes this conversation really easy for Spencer. She's like, man, A sure holds a grudge, huh? And Spencer's like, huh, yeah, A sure does. <laughs> um, the liars talk about the masks. Aria, oh, Emily, and Emily shows up too. Aria weirdly suggests that Shauna is involved then is surprised when Emily suggests that Shauna is involved. Like, Spencer, Spencer's like, where would you go if you needed a mask? And Arya's like, somebody who works at a costume shop. And Emily's like, oh, so you're saying Shauna. And Arya's like, you think Shauna's involved? And I'm like, what? 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 I mean, you're playing Arya. Her name at this point is still Shauna Costume Shop. So it does seem like not much of a leap. She's like the only person they know who works in a costume shop. And Arya just suggested her. Like Arya Arya says costume shop as though that's the answer and then is surprised. Like 
why is everything related to Shauna so weirdly written that, that like the characters suddenly are not acting like humans anymore? Like, like, like Shauna, when Shauna, like when we're supposed to believe that Shauna and Emily have been like flirt texting for a while and there, there's absolutely like zero evidence of that or romantic chemistry or anything like it's just it's so it's so weird and so sort of sad really how poorly constructed everything about the Shauna character ultimately ends up being but anyway that's so Aria uh special <laughs> to see Melissa come face to face with the mask Paige walks in just then so Emily bops off to talk to her Meanwhile, Spencer and Arya stay and have another chat about Jake, where Spencer has this sort of weird non-reaction reaction, but then uh, uh, tells Arya that she supports the relationship and supports Arya being involved in something less complicated. Yeah, this is another, like, a lot of the liar conversations in this episode just this is what feels uneven to me it seems like the show is just stuck in neutral because they just keep talking about how at a later point they're going to make or do a plan uh and they're just like recapping the stakes to one another and then the jake conversation is like almost the exact same conversation that they had in the last catch-up convo so it's kind of weird um but Spencer's plan, such as it is, is that she wants to, like, surprise Melissa with the mask and then see if she goes to Hector or Shauna or someone else. I think that this seems extremely low yield. Like, what is the point of proving that Melissa knows Hector? Like, you already have proof of that since he made this mask, right? Well, I just don't understand what the masks are proving at this point. I mean, nothing like it's not like anybody it's not like they it's not like a mask was found at the site of Wilden's murder that has them all on mask beat like the mask at this yeah. point proves nothing I, like if someone was wearing an alley mask that might connect to who pulled them out of Thornhill Lodge but like the Melissa mask is completely like it's a non-starter I think as far as evidence goes and it also seems pretty clear that Hector like Hector's not a source of information. Like, Hector made some masks, but he's not, like, it's not like he was, like, selling them all around town and, like, you know, had an, had an in with A. Like, that seems pretty pretty clear at this point. Agreed. Emily and Paige are outside the brew. Paige was worried when Emily skipped practice. Emily says it won't be the only one she misses. Doctor's orders. And then, because Paige is written at the whims of whichever writer has this episode, she just kind of says, that sucks, before deciding that Emily is giving her an edge. She'll shave another hundredth of a second off her time. Uh, This is a very Spencer-esque response. Uh, And then Emily, as if noticing this for the first time about the woman that she's been dating, uh, remarks that Paige is a very competitive person. Uh, then she follows that up with a trailing what if, which I think we're supposed to think means what if she can't ever swim again or what if she can't keep up anymore? Uh, it would be much better if she followed all the way through on that thought, but she doesn't. And Paige lets it go. Yeah, I feel like um, Paige, Paige is written super inconsistently at this point in the series. Um, I I think that the Paige in this scene I like this page. I have to say, I like this page more than the like wide-eyed, 
incredibly optimistic, um, you know, whistling through a graveyard page that we got that we sort of been getting and we'll get again later in this episode. Um, and I, I actually think that there's a really interesting uh, question at the heart of this, which is that, um, you know, Emily and Paige are like they have this history of being rivals. Right. And there's swimming is this thing that bonds them together and this thing that they kind of they, they push each other to be better and they sort of the, the competition even is, is an element of their um, of their romance. And if that is gone, sort of what what do they have left? I think it's an interesting question. I don't think it's one that the show ever really fully reckons with, because I think like where relationship is going to go this half season is just kind of I don't know like it's just a lot of bad communication but um I I don't know I think it's I think it's an interesting conflict that's not really fulfilled yeah I would certainly agree with that yeah um so on to another couple with bad communication Karate Jake and Aria, they are walking in town, presumably either on their way to or having just finished a date that Aria and Prezra did the exact same version of (laughs) six months ago. Um, Karate Jake is telling Aria all about the charms of Jackie Chan when Malcolm bursts out of a bookstore, very excited to greet the woman who landed him in the ER for for bed jumping. Um, It first of all. Nobody notices that he's gone for like way too long, which is super awkward or not awkward, just bad. But this scene is super awkward because um, this Malcolm is like asking why Arya doesn't come around anymore. And Arya kind of, um, you know, waffles a bit about how uh, she just doesn't have as much time and she's busy and things are complicated. Yada, yada, yada. Go back inside, Malcolm. I don't want to talk to you anymore. So Malcolm runs back inside and then um, Arya like very weirdly doesn't explain who this child is to her. So Karate Jake gives her a very easy out being like, oh, is he like, um, you know, friend of the family, this Ezra guy, Malcolm's father. And Arya just tells him, no, one of my teachers and keeps walking. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I mean, Malcolm is, like, super, like, overly convenient and really grating in this scene. Um, you know, get get your fake son out of here, basically. Well, and also, like, this is, I think that this is a case of, like, Arya's subconscious is pushing her to, to tell Jake about the Prezra situation. Because she so easily could not have brought up the fact that Prezra oh. was a teacher and then chooses to make it as weird as humanly possible. <laughs> Yeah, that is uh, that is definitely definitely true. Uh, also, Arya is like so much Ella's daughter that she winds up apologizing apologizing to this child who she owes nothing to about the fact that she's just been busy lately. <laughs> sorry, 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 little kid. I'm, I'm not having sex with your father, my teacher anymore. So I haven't been around much. <laughs> Oh, oh my gosh. Um, so the so next scene, uh, we transition from broad daylight to darkest night. 
uh, where Arya and Jake are on her porch, and she has presumably spent the entire day, like from blazing <laughs> early afternoon to now almost midnight, uh, giving him the whole entire history of her and Prezra Fitz. Well, she oh, would know. She's so good. This, this poor man. She probably, like, she probably, like, read him out loud the first 300 pages of her diary that she wrote about Prezra. Oh, my God. <laughs> Um, she, she probably read him B-26. <laughs> she, she, she probably did. They probably, the rest of their date, turned into a walking tour of all of the places that she had been with Prezra and, like, all of the places that they had made out and stuff. Like, she probably, she probably still has a key to Prezra's apartment. And so she, like, walked Jake in there and they, like, played with Malcolm's train set. And she, like, let him, she, like, let him smell the pillow on the bed. Like, that's, that's probably... What happened? <laughs> they like drove out to that weird college bar where where, where they like play darts or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They like like Prezra and Maggie were like still in the bookstore, so they actually went back to that location and took Malcolm out for some ice cream to like get his take on what Arya meant to him, and then they just returned him before anyone noticed. So like. That's presumably what Arya and Jake have been doing this whole day uh, that it's taken for her to, like, really delve into all of the details of their relationship. Um, Jake loses all of the points that he had earned with me thus far by saying he knew she was interesting. He just didn't know how interesting. Now, I mean... Credit for using the word interesting instead of damaged um, or, like, disaster <laughs> manic pixie dream girl. Um, but I, I feel like characterizing her as interesting because this backstory is a concern. Um, and then <laughs> Arya says very wistfully that when she tells the whole story <laughs> like that, it sounds kind of like a movie. Ugh. Um, he asks, black and white or color? And then Arya says, the happy parts are in color. The sad parts are in black and white. Oh my gosh. Um, Jake calls her out on not being over it. And she insists that she is, even though she just spent literally hours telling him every single thing about this past relationship, even though she probably made him do some teacher-student role plays with her <laughs> that he was not comfortable about. Um, she's like, no, no, I am over it. I have to be. Uh, and then she kisses him. And I will say, I do like that he stops her and says, do you really want to be with someone who would kiss you after they hear a story like that? Um, she says, well, she has to move on full speed ahead. Um, and then he tells a karate story about the difference between being hurt or being injured. And as he leaves, she asks if she can call him. And he says that she can. Yeah, you know, interesting comment aside, I actually do like Karate Jake for the most part in this scene. I really appreciate his comment to her about, you know, would you really want to kiss somebody who would or would you really want to be with somebody who would kiss you after a story like this, which I feel like is another one of those moments. For some reason, the only characters that get to acknowledge that Prezra is a predator and Prezria is fucked up are like Arya's other boyfriends. Um, and Karate Jake kind of gets to do that here. I also kind of like him, 
doling out this piece of advice and then being like, this is the only piece of advice I know how to give. I say it for everything. Like sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, which like this dude absolutely is a dude that would have one piece of advice that he tells everybody. And it's a karate metaphor. Um, but also I wonder like halfway through this scene, how old is karate Jake supposed to be? Is he pre- perhaps even older than Prezra? I mean, I think he's supposed to be, I, I think he's supposed to be like in his early twenties, I think probably. Okay. So theoretically he could be older than Prezra or uh, as Prezra. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, yeah, true. He's not her high school English teacher, but yeah, he is probably older. I feel like this is another case, like the PLL thing that they always do where it's like, because Prezria is so messed up because he's her teacher, like, oh, anybody else who's just in their vague mid, you know, early to mid 20s dating a high schooler, it's totally fine. Bring it on, you know, Talia, bring it on, Jake, bring it on, like whoever else. I don't know. It's a little strange. Um, but also at the end of this scene, I noticed that the Paley theme was playing, which was very. Boo. Get your own theme, straight people. Exactly. Um, so suddenly we're like in midday again. And Toby finds himself at some creepily idyllic outdoor hospital and approaches Dr. Palmer, who is sitting on a bench all by himself, looking a bit worse for wear. Toby is here to ask about his mother and um, is invited to sit by Dr. Palmer. This is inappropriate. And I also don't trust that Toby has adequately prepared himself for whatever he might learn here. Oh, I totally agree. Uh, I think that Dr. Palmer is like really weirdly, uh, he's like weirdly set up here. He's wearing these like small sunglasses. (laughs) And also he has like a straw hat at his feet. And like the camera really focuses on the straw hat at his feet as if like, That's our clue that he's not all there. He has a straw hat and it is at his feet. (laughs) Yes. What you doing with that straw hat, mister? (laughs) Sitting here with it by my feet, suspiciously. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, my goodness. Um, Back in the Marin house, um, Ashley is just home from work and telling Hannah that for the time being, the bank is not going to allow her into the safe deposit vault. Hannah is upset and wonders if this is because of the state police. Ashley throws up her hands and says it won't make a difference either way. Like, does she want to know that the state police talked to the bank or is it better if this is just the bank's decision? No matter what, it's, it's not good news for her. Uh, Hannah says that she hoped that with Wilden gone, that would be the end of it. Ashley admits she thought so too. Hannah says she knows her mom was in Rosewood that night. Ashley takes this blow, but promises earnestly that no matter what happens, this will not touch Hannah. Yes. And then the light shifts because we're in the darkness of this reveal. Um, Yeah. Again, this all feels very conspiratorial. I'm not sure if it ever ends up being as conspiratorial as it's set up to be, but it's sure seems creepy right now. Um, were we going to say something? No, I agree. It seems like, uh, it definitely seems like Ashley and Hannah are maybe going to plan another murder. Yeah, it really does. It really does. Um, so back over at the um, weird outdoor hospital, uh, Dr. Palmer is telling Toby that he was worried he'd missed a warning sign after Marion killed herself. 
Uh, he says that it's like the air weighs more for certain people. Toby seems to suggest that Marion might have been pushed and probes at whether Palmer thinks that she jumped. He wants to know if she had trouble with other patients or staff, and Palmer reassures Toby that she loved him. Toby is, like, taking the bizarre details of Palmer's speech to mean all sorts of different things. But when Palmer starts going on and on about the heaviness of air, Toby recognizes that all is not as it seems, and Palmer may not be all there. Toby miraculously is able to figure out that Palmer is a patient of this facility. I had totally misremembered this scene that Spencer actually had to go and figure that particular (laughs) detail out because Toby couldn't. Um, But, you know, a note that I took during this scene is like, wouldn't it have made a lot more sense if Toby joining the A-team initially was rolled into this mom storyline, especially with all of the Radley connections? I feel like we could have saved ourselves like two seasons of Toby drama by combining those two two storylines and kind of upping the stakes for Toby a little bit. Anyway, he's readying to leave, but Palmer calls out to him to tell Marion to stay away from that girl, the blonde girl. There's something wrong with the air around here, around her. Now I know that we're meant to think he's probably talking about Allison, but I he's he's talking about Bethany, right? I think so, or Cece. It's it's unknown. Yeah, yeah. It's it is. It's one it's, of the many blonde girls who are just running around town at all times. Exactly. Um, yeah, this is like when he started talking about the air being heavier. I was like, oh, can this show not just ever talk about depression? Oh my god! But then it became clear that like him talking about the actual physical weight of air was like his whole kind of demented thing. And I was like, oh, well, okay. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny how the show there's so often times I feel like the show comes so close to delving into like the real heart of an issue. And I feel like that's so much the case here of um, this idea that Toby seems to really have not be able to, Marry the idea that his mother loved him with the idea that his mother killed herself. And I think that the show is, if they had written this storyline better and more sensitively, it could have been an exploration of that idea or Toby coming to a place where he could accept that idea. But unfortunately, that is not the story that they're telling. Yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely true. And I would also say that, like, that's something that Toby should be dealing with in therapy, like reconciling those two, like, you know, kind of what he feels are contrary ideas about the facts of his life and about his mother's death. Um, But also, uh, I think that anyone should be extremely wary of any, like, you know, any person involved in the therapy profession who is this willing to immediately start talking about a patient oh my goodness oh I mean he like there was like no arm twisting nothing at all this guy was just like so delighted uh to talk to and like he doesn't know who Toby is Toby doesn't show him any identification or anything Toby could be literally anyone and this guy is like here let me give you all of the information about this person who I talked to who had suicidal ideation. I completely agree. I completely agree. Yeah. Uh, Over at the house of Hastings, Melissa is pouring herself a glass of white wine as an unseen person watches through the window. 
Reveal shot shows the watchers to be Spencer and Arya, who have set up some kind of mask sting operation, which Spencer is recording and narrating, I guess, in case the viewers can't follow it. Uh, they have put the mask in Melissa's suitcase, which they have also moved into the living room from the barn. Melissa finds the suitcase, finds the mask, looks weirded out, sits with it for a moment, then leaves in a hurry as Spencer and Arya follow her. Now, what in the world is this about? Like, what would they have done if Melissa just, like, saw the mask, thought, this is weird, and threw it in the trash? Yeah, the the idea that um, absolutely Melissa is, there's only one place she could possibly go after this, and it's to confront H- Hector, is... I guess we're just supposed to believe like Spencer knows Melissa so well that she knows that Melissa would do this. But I don't know if I necessarily feel like Melissa would do this. It feels very inconvenient. That being said, I enjoy Spencer's narration. I feel like Troyan's really having fun with all of her, you know, okay, work it out, Melissa. Good girl. Now what are you going to do? Like she's, she's, she's having a good time. It's true. It's true. Oh, man, this scene. Um, So Wayne and Pam are attempting to do some hardcore parenting, laying into Emily about what she's been keeping from them. Uh, Have they tried showing Emily any empathy yet? It seems like that's that's somewhat missing from their approach, Uh, especially if they do think that Emily is being abused. uh, Hammering her like this might not get them the reaction that they're wanting. Um, It also seems like Pam hasn't tried to talk to Emily about her injuries until Wayne was here, which does feel consistent with the Fields marriage, but it also feels like perhaps a missed opportunity. Um, Emily doesn't have any answers from, for them asking them to trust her that she's not being hurt and that she will figure this out. Wayne has a really um, interesting comment where he says, this has nothing to do with trust this has to do with what we have a right to know as your parents. And what's so funny about that is like, of course this has to do with trust because if, if there was a greater degree of trust that Emily felt she would be able to, to divulge what's going on to them. Um, Pam has a slightly different tactic talking about trust as a two way street. Emily tells them that she tried to talk to the doctor and explain everything um, and then as they get pretty heated in, in, in that reveal, she gets up to storm out and apologizes. Wayne uh, takes this opportunity to unfortunately bring up college and how they're going to pay for it, uh, especially uh, with Emily's injury. Emily says that she knows she screwed up the scholarships. She'll work a bunch of jobs. She's sorry. She's sorry. Um, she doesn't know if this is over. And she runs out. And her parents yell after her. And go as far as the sidewalk, but do not chase her down the street. This is just a bad situation. This is so, I just feel like this is so contrived. Um, Wayne has always been very understanding with Emily before. uh, And his, like, strongman stance here seems out of character. Um, The fact that the social services investigation has involved, like, interviewing every single person in town that Pam and Wayne have ever met, but has not yet involved talking to Emily. Uh, And also the fact that, like, Emily's big move here is to just run away from the situation uh, while they yell at her down the street. But again, like, 
as soon as Emily is out of sight, like she's out of hearing range. Um, yeah, it, it all feels this this whole this whole thing feels a little forced in order to get us to the point we're going to be at with them at the end of the episode. Yeah, and it's it's another case of a PLL storyline that I feel like potentially has good bones. Like I I think that the idea of um, family or social services getting involved with one of the liars families and, and basically looking at all of the evidence of everything that's been going on and being like, what the hell is happening to this kid in some ways makes a lot of sense. But first of all, I think that the fields family is probably the most um, underwritten family dynamic. So it's hard to like put that situation to that family. Um, And also it just, it sort of forces everybody to act like these really broad archetypes of their character and not actually like their character. Yeah, wouldn't it be great if someone started looking at what was happening in the Montgomery family? Just yes. a thought that I have. Just a thought. Just a thought. Or the Hastings family. My God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so Hannah and Caleb are arguing in the kitchen of the Marin house. She's telling him uh, that her mom admitted being in Rosewood. And Caleb suspects that the money that she wanted from Tom Marin was either to pay Wilden off or to pay someone to kill him. He's not saying it outright, of course. He's just asking questions, just saying what other people might think. Uh, They are interrupted in this argument by the doorbell, and it's Gabe. Notice the way he first names himself here, and Detective Tanner wanting to talk to Ashley. Hannah and Caleb pretend Ashley is not home, and Caleb makes up a lie to explain Ashley's car being in the driveway. The detectives reluctantly leave, and then we see Ashley emerge from her room upstairs, looking hunted and haggard. Yeah, yeah. And there's sort of this very, like, soap opera-y moment where Hannah and Caleb embrace, and they kind of look up at Ashley, and it's like, it has this very weird, like, we're all in this together vibe. Like, I don't know, it's 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 definitely creepy. Yeah. Agreed, agreed. Um, also, Ashley should get a lawyer. Like, this is, a, this is yes. a plan that I have for her. Lawyer up and don't talk to them again until you're sitting next to Veronica. Yeah, I mean, I guess they're going with this with the idea of, like, lawyer equals guilty. But, Ashley, get a lawyer. Like, get a lawyer. Um, so, Spencer and Aria approach Hector's place, then hilariously dart away as Melissa emerges, dragging a gigantic sack behind her. Spencer asks if that sack is big enough for Hector. I feel like Spencer gets a lot of fun little quips in this episode. Um, Spencer will follow Melissa, she decides, and Aria will, quote, keep an eye on Hector, whatever that means. Uh, Aria has to go right in and poke around the studio. She's never been a good lookout anyway. And, um, of course, things are dark and creepy with lots of weird molds and figures all around. Um, And... Yeah, and then we sort of have this sequence, I don't know, maybe, I I don't know how exactly we want to talk about it, but we go over to the dock where Melissa is smashing masks and throwing them into the water, which, super interesting, Melissa, like, destroying versions of her own face. And then we go back to Aria, who keeps poking around, eventually finding a whole row, row of the alley mask molds. Uh, she approaches Hector with the mold in hand. He clarifies that it's it's the casting, not the mold. He didn't have the heart to destroy them. Arya asks if Allison ever came here with anyone else. He says she was always alone, except once, and we go to a flashback. Flashback! Flashback! 
Uh, Allison, alive and well and desperate for money. She wants to get whatever he has right now, uh, even if it's not as much as he owes her. She grabs a handful of cash from him and rushes out. She asks for directions to the highway and then jumps into a black sedan that peels away right after she gets into the passenger side. Hector did not see who he was driving, but that was the last he saw of Allie. Back in the present, he tells Arya this was the last time he ever saw her. It was the summer that Allie disappeared. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, back on the dock, Spencer confronts Melissa. Melissa deduces that Spencer planted the mask and followed her here. Um, and when Spencer starts asking questions, Melissa has a great line saying, when was the last time an answer made you any happier? Valid question. Uh, which I also think brings up this interesting idea of like, truth versus happiness which i think especially in the hastings family um and with these two sisters in particular is such a complicated issue because spencer i think will keep looking for the truth and i think melissa a lot of the time um might ignore the truth in an attempt at some version of happiness or status or loyalty you know something like that case in point the situation with ian Mm. um Spencer insists on answers, asking about Melissa's presence on the Halloween train. Melissa seems surprised to uh, recognize that it was Mona on the train. Uh, back over in the at the at the shed, Hector tells Arya that he traded Melissa's face for info, but she got less info than Arya did. So this whole trip is really kind of for naught. Um, he seems ready to go for Arya's face, but she says that she will keep it. Yeah, this is a this is a nice nice moment um, between Arya. I feel like it's actually really brave of Arya that she's confronting Hector all on her own. Brave or stupid, maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely that's true. Um, oh, do I do I get to go back by the water? Sure, you can go back to the dock. Ooh, okay. Um, so Spencer is like. I, I like the scene between Spencer and Melissa because I like the way that they're written as if they're communicating almost telepathically with one another. Um, but yeah. a, as interrogations go, Spencer is not even asking questions. She's like testifying here that Melissa must have asked Shauna where she could get a mask, like the one she saw on the train. And then she must have come here wanting to know about the Allison mask, wanting to know when it was made, was it before or after Allie disappeared? Um, and then Spencer says, you know, it's crazy to think that Allie might still be alive. And Melissa has another great line where she asks, is it any crazier than anything else that's happened? Um, Spencer asks if Melissa tried to kill her on the Halloween train. And Melissa says, no, that was Wilden. She claims that she never helped Wilden. They were all afraid of him. Spencer asks who we is. Is it the NAT club? And Melissa gives, she's so good at the non-answer. She says, this is bigger than a stupid club. But Spencer presses for the connection between the club and what happened to Allison. Melissa changes course and says, Wilden wasn't that smart. He was taking orders from someone. And then Spencer asks if it was someone who wanted to kill Arya and Spencer and anyone else who could figure it out. Melissa says she didn't know about the plan to hurt Spencer until she was already on the train And then Spencer theorizes that once Garrett showed up, it was more important to kill him. Melissa doesn't deny it. And uh, Spencer lays into her that she could have warned them. She knew and she did nothing. Yeah, keep this anger. Keep this anger later for Prezra, Spencer Hastings. Um, 
But you don't understand, Melissa shouts. And this is like one of the most quintessential Melissa lines of, of the series, I feel. She says, you don't understand. You never understood. I've been protecting you since it started, since before it started. Uh, and we don't really get any explanation of that. But I feel like in like it, there's an emotional truth to that that Melissa has been trying to protect Spencer for longer than Spencer even realizes, especially when we realize that, like, Melissa thinks that Spencer killed Allie. Um, Spencer says, so you sent Shauna and Jenna to burn down the lodge. Melissa says she sent them to watch the liars to find out who they were going to meet, to find out if they were going to be meeting Allison. Um, Melissa says Shauna and Jenna did not set the fire it was Wilden. They saw him. Okay, so is this the answer? Is Wilden the person who burned down the lodge? Is that, like, for real? I guess so, because later Spencer's, like, I believe, like, Arya asks if Spencer believes um, at Melissa, and Spencer's, like, I believe most of what she said, or enough of what she said. So I think we are supposed to think that Wilden did. Why? I don't totally understand, but sure. Also, okay had a night of a thousand nights the night that he died i mean much like allison the night that she went missing like he was all over town he was he was whenever you get into hyper adrenalized reality territory it's like curtains for you immediately after um so uh spencer tries to ask uh if jenna and shauna are the ones who pulled everyone out they did not they did not see who redcoat was um, Spencer asks what Jenna and Shauna have to do with anything. How does Melissa even know them? Uh, why does she think Allie is still alive? And there's a very pregnant pause where it seems like Melissa might be about to respond. And then Spencer asks if she killed Detective Wilden. Melissa tells her to drop it, let it go, or it will come apart in ways you can't even imagine. Which again is like setting up this giant conspiracy theory. Um, yeah, the one thing that I, I still really have a question about after this is the connection between Melissa, Jenna, and Shauna. Like, where that comes from, is it just that they're all queer? I'm not really sure. Thruple, I, I don't know. Why would Melissa send a blind person to be lookout? I'm not totally sure about that. Like, I have, there are some questions. Well, and, uh... Jenna and Shauna, like, what were they doing? Did they just start making out in the woods that they missed? Uh, they missed being able to save the liars from the fire. They missed spying to see who Redcoat was. Like, what the heck were they up to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels like maybe sending, like, a new couple who's, like, all over each other to the secret spy mission was maybe not the best choice. No. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, but this is... I, this is... Um, I mean, I guess technically this is an information dump and it's pretty suspenseful the way it's written. Um, but it's also really sort of not because I don't really feel like we learn that much new stuff. No, I agree. The actual and with Melissa, you can never be sure if what she's saying is the truth or a lie. Uh, mostly it's like she answers questions with questions, which is, you know, it's fun, um, but it's not giving us a ton of good information. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, so Paige is swimming some laps in the darkened pool when somebody comes in. There's a weird moment of spooky music, but it is just Emily. Emily sweetly wraps her in a towel, but is clearly distraught about something. Yes. Um, 
Back at the dock, Spencer is fondling pieces of the broken Melissa masks as Arya arrives by the water. Where is Melissa? She's gone. Where? Does it matter? Spencer asks. Um, Spencer takes a big piece of a Melissa mask out and tosses it into the water. So after all of this, Spencer just let Melissa go. Um, Spencer just made an executive decision uh, that all was good and Melissa just was allowed to go on her way. I feel like the whole rest of this episode plays out like Spencer might have just killed Melissa and thrown her in the lake. Yeah, that is absolutely what it seems like. A hundred percent for sure. Because Spencer is really sort of dark and creepy when she says she's gone. And then later on, Arya is kind of asking about Melissa and Spencer sort of shuts her down in a way that makes me, that like you could, and like there's all the broken fragments of Melissa's face in the water. Like it totally, it I, it totally feels like Spencer could have just like pushed Melissa in the water and held her under and Melissa might be dead. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Agree. Um, so back at the pool, oh, did you want to say something? Oh, no, go, go okay. ahead. Um, back at the pool, Emily is telling Paige that it shouldn't have happened like this. Paige tries to make light of their situation, joking about Emily letting the car hit Mona and Aria, then insisting that they can find another dream. Paige, once again, is glamored by Emily's love, only able to see the glass as half full, when what Emily really needs is some empathy and for them to have a real conversation about this. Emily admits that she isn't sure if she can be the girl who sits in the stand and watches Paige win. Paige, who has taken her magical thinking optimism pills, says that Emily will swim again no matter what and that she won't need surgery. Emily seems to feel like she has to offer Paige something, so she calls herself lucky. They are sweet, but I wish that this conflict conflict got to be more nuanced. Oh, yeah, 110%. Um, I do feel like this is another time when I felt like the liars should be in therapy because when you say, what if I can't be the girl who sits in the stands and watches you win? Emily, that is something you should say to your therapist, not your partner. Oh my goodness. Like, yeah, work that out. Like workshop that a little bit, Emily, before you bring it to Paige. That's a suggestion I have. Um, But Paige really rolls with that. Like she really, like you said, she's not like looking too hard at anything that's happening here. Um, But I feel like overall Paige's response, it's it's optimistic to a fault, but it's also very generous. Like when she talks about how they can find another dream, uh, she's, she's willing to give Emily a lot here. She's willing to give Emily a lot more than Emily is willing to give her. Well, I feel like what's happening subtextually with Paige here is that she is terrified that she is going to lose Emily. And so she is holding on to her with everything she's got and just sort of, you know, literally grinning and bearing it and, you know, whistling through a graveyard and just being like, it's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. We're not going to break up. We're not going to break up. We are not going to break up. I still have the dorm room simulation on my computer. And, I, and by God, if it's the last thing I do, we're getting to that dorm room. Like, she she is so determined. And really, I mean, you know, I made the joke about magical thinking, but it is it does seem to be this sort of magical thinking that, like, if she can just love Emily enough, this will all work out. And what is that like? Emily thinking that if she can just love Allison enough, everything will work out. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's two sides of the same sad coin. Um, so Emily comes home to find cops talking to her parents. Uh, someone reported a domestic disturbance at their house because of all the shouting in the street, etc. Emily is horrified and now has to talk to some cops to assure them everything is okay. Things are looking like they are going from bad to worse for the Fields fam. Yeah. Oh, and, and there's this interesting shot, too, where Emily is pulled away to talk to the police. And we kind of see Paige. And it's like, you know, Paige witnessing this, but also Paige being, you know, separated from Emily in this moment. Oh, yeah. I mean, when they, they both rush over there and then Emily just leaves Paige without even a backwards glance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Arya puts the kettle on over at the Hastings house while contemplating whether Spencer might have just murdered Melissa. Spencer believes enough of what Melissa told her, she explains to Arya, including maybe that Melissa didn't kill Wilden. They get an A text just then that Melissa is guilty but not A. Um, and before they can contemplate this too much further, they're about to call Arya or they're about to call Emily and Hannah. Uh, Hannah walks right in. Hannah announces that she thinks her mom killed Wilden, and A knows it. The kettle whistles. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, this is a very dramatic last line of the episode uh, with the kettle boiling ominously there in the background. And then we get to uh, the A tag, which we've got some black boots, we've got a dripping net, and we have got the pieces of a Melissa mask being lovingly glued back together by a um i like to think that this is probably charlotte herself and that she is just gazing lovingly uh at the recreation of melissa's face i like that a lot now i don't correct me if i'm wrong i don't think we ever see the melissa mask again no i don't think we do either yeah yeah it's funny how it's sort of set up as like this thing and then it's Maybe they just realized that it didn't look enough like Melissa to really matter very much. Yeah, I felt like maybe that was why Spencer was surprising her with it. Because otherwise, Melissa could just be like, I don't see it. That's not me. What is this thing? Um, yeah, so what are, your, what are your final takeaways from this episode? Um, I mean, I feel like it was a bit uneven. Um, I, I do think that the Ashley stuff is, is getting interesting. I like the Tanner stuff. Uh, and I do like it whenever Spencer and Melissa get to go head to head. But the liars were, I mean, the liars were a little hit or miss. They still don't seem to be interacting really well as a unit. Uh, but mostly I'm super excited because next week we have yes. Gamma Zeta Die. <laughs> Best episode title ever. Um, yeah, and I feel like that episode, um, like the season's kind of kicking into gear. We've been we've been treading water with Emily's injured shoulder here for the past few weeks. And uh, now we're going to, we're going to get some speed under us. Um, I agree. You know, it's funny when I was watching the episode, I was thinking like, wow, this feels like it's moving pretty fast and this is pretty engaging, but talking about it, I mean, it's always fun to talk about it, but I'm recognizing like, yeah, there's some stuff that's like, not, not that great or fully formed in this one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It feels, I mean, it feels like there's a lot of filler in here basically. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Well, if you have thoughts on this episode, you can, of course, send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. 
you can also send in a rating and review on iTunes. We would appreciate it. Or check out our Instagram at Everybody A Podcast. Um, like we said, we will be back next week with Gamma Zeta Die, a title oh. that we're probably going to just say over and over and over again. <laughs> Till then, take care. Take care. Thank you.